Good morning. It's great to be here, and I count it a real privilege um, to be here the second time to bring you God's Word. Now, now that I'm here in person, I do want to take the opportunity to thank um, Catherine and the team that came to Ghana, uh, Redeemer City Church, to serve on the medical missions. Uh, I think it was uh, towards the end of last year, and it was a huge blessing. Um, because of your coming, the Lord actually opened an incredible door. You, you remember the school in which we served, uh, uh, a public school. What is happening is that our church has been approved by the local government to adopt a public school. And so we decided to serve the school. And when the, the team came, we served there. And within three days, <laughs> I think we overworked them, they had actually attended to about a thousand people within the community. And um, having the opportunity to be here, I thought I wouldn't start until I, say, I, I take the opportunity to say thank you. Um, thank you, Jeremiah, and your team of faithful leaders for having me here. I want to speak from John chapter 15. And so I'll pray, and then we will get into God's Word straight away. Shall we pray together, shall we? Our Father, we love you because you first loved us. And you have demonstrated it in Jesus by his life, death, and resurrection. So we pray that as we look into your word together from John's gospel, that God the Holy Spirit will flood our souls. He will not only inform our minds, but he will inflame our hearts and quicken our wills towards obedience unto the King, that we might abide in him for your glory and in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, we as believers, whether you are in America or you are in Ghana, we are in a waiting period. So, we are waiting. Um, the Lord Jesus says that, or he teaches us that the kingdom of God has come, but it has not fully come. It is already, but not yet. So, we are waiting at this time. Now, when you read John's Gospel, chapter 13, chapter 14, before you get into 15, the Lord is having this conversation with his disciple, and it is, it is the final conversation, the very important conversation, because the cross is just at the corner. He's about to die. He's about to depart on the cross, and then afterwards he will actually depart physically. He will, there will be the ascension, and then he will go and be with the Father. So he's about to leave them physically. The departure is in sight. And so his explanation is that, guys, know that the king has been here, myself, but I'm about to go. And that in itself is an indication that the kingdom of God is already here, but not yet fully come. We are in the waiting lounge. We're waiting. That is the season in which we find ourselves, and there is a real question. The question is, how do we live in the waiting period? What should we do in this waiting period. And he had actually um, made a few things clear to them. 
in this waiting period. It is good that I go because the Holy Spirit will come and all these things are going to happen. You're going to get deeper insight into my word. A number of amazing things are going to happen. But there is also going to be pressure. Chapter 15, verse um, 18 following. The world is going to hate you because the world hates Jesus. They don't like Jesus. They don't like what Jesus stands for. They don't like his claims. And if you associate with him, you will be hated. And that is occupational hazard. That is what is going to happen in the waiting period. How then should we live, Lord? What should we do? And then he answers them straight away. He says that the most important thing in this life for all who follow Jesus, for all followers of Jesus is this. It is to remain in him. It is to abide in him. In fact, this is what it, it means to be a follower of Jesus, remaining in him, abiding in him. The question is, why should we remain in you? Why should we abide in you? And the Lord answers that question in verse 1. He says, because I am the true vine. Remain in me because I am the true vine. Well, you are the true vine. That presupposes that there is a false vine. What is the false vine? And then the Lord tells them. Now, the way we need to understand this is to go back to the prophets of old. They will tell us about the false vine so that we can understand what he means by I am the true vine. And part of the prophets of old is Psalm 80. 8 to 11. And this is what it says. You transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took roots and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade. The mighty cedars with its branches. Its branches reached as far as the sea. Its shoots as far as the river. But here was the problem. This vine of old wouldn't bear good fruits. So Isaiah tells us, Isaiah 5, 1 to 2, I will sing for the one I love, a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. Just, just be in the picture. Just picture it. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine spread as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad ones. Who is this old vine? Isaiah 5, 7. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in, and he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. The people of Judah, the old vine, in a sense, the false vine failed. They failed to produce fruits that the vine dresser, Yahweh, the Father, looked for. And so Jesus comes along and he says that, I am the true vine. I am the real fulfillment of the vine that God planted. 
What is the Lord saying? If the old vine was unfruitful and I'm the true vine, it means that I am fruitful. He is making that claim. I am fruitful. I bear fruits. And that is what he's telling his disciples. Guys, listen. I am fruitful. And as of the vine of old, my father is the vine dresser. What, 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 what do we see here? He tends to it. In fact, um, I'm not a good farmer, but I enjoy gardening. So Jeremiah has been to my home before. Now we are in what we call the Hamatan season, which means we don't have four seasons. We have two seasons, dry and wet. We are in the dry season. Everything is dry. And I've been working very hard, remove stones, because I love rose flowers. And I've planted some. So I'm trying to hard to make sure that it is, it is flowering and I can occasionally pluck some to my beloved wife. The father does this. <laughs> the, fa- <laughs> the father does this. He removes the stones and he wants it to be fruitful. Here, as the Lord talks, the father is still the vine dresser. He's doing the same thing. And he's done the same thing around the sun, the true vine. And he is fruitful. He works on the branches because he wants to see fruit. Verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear fruit. And what do we see of this vine? There is a fruitless branch on it. And then there is a fruitful branch. Why is it that others are fruitful and others are not fruitful? The reason is that because the way God has designed it is you cannot be fruitful by yourself unless you really have this union with the true vine. So if others are fruitful, they have this union with the true vine. If others are not fruitful, it presupposes that there is no real, vital, organic union. Listen to verse 4 and how he puts it. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is it that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, there wouldn't be fruit. Abide in me. If there isn't fruit, perhaps you're not in vital union with the Son. You abide in me and I in you. There is this mutual indwelling. There is this real union with him. You take residence in me, I take residence in you. We are in union as one with Jesus. And then there will be fruit. It is not the branches that are fruitful. It is the true vine which is fruitful. And to be fruitful is to abide in him. Don't go for fruitfulness. First go for abiding in him. And because he is fruitful, you will be fruitful. Union with Jesus. And so the branch indwells the vine by faith in the vine. And then the vine indwells the branch by his grace. 
And then the Father, the vine dresser, will cut off any branch that does not bear fruits. Uh, that is sobering. That, that's, that feels a bit hard. And then verse 16 would explain that he, he gathers it and throws it away into the fire. The reason is that there is no abiding. The reason is not so much because of the fruit. The fruit is indicative of something. There isn't trusting, drawing from the vine, dependence on the vine. The truth is that there are some branches that can hang on the tree and still produce no fruit. True? True. They are attached to the vine, but they are not drawing from it. Uh, to put it another way, they haven't been cleansed and cleaned and forgiven and are not depending on that. They somehow hanging in there and depending on themselves. They may be highly religious like the society in which I come from. We are all highly religious one way or the other. If you come to Ghana and you greet someone and say, good morning, good morning, how are you? Almost everyone will respond, by the grace of God. Whether they are Muslims or traditionalists or Christian, by the grace of God. We are so religious, but there is, it doesn't necessarily mean there is a vital union knowing Jesus and depending on his finished work on the cross. No, it doesn't. And so we can all be religious together and still not be in the Lord Jesus. Judas is an example of this. Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who had been with him, he was actually there in the room for three years at least. And he was not in the vine. He was not depending on Jesus. He was not trusting in him. He was always figuring out his own way out. There are Pharisees, another example, highly religious, knowledgeable people of the Torah, and yet rejecting and not depending and coming to this true vine. They are not abiding. Another way of putting this abiding, in case it sounds very theoretical, is in verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So what, what does abiding in Christ actually look like? It looks like this. Let me mention a few. Verse 7 again. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, how can, how can I abide in Jesus and Jesus abide in me and my words abide in you? How can I really be dependent? I look into the gospel. The gospel abides in me. So how does it actually look like? It looks like this. Prayerfully. It looks like prayerfully letting the gospel of the Lord Jesus dwell in my heart richly. That is what I look into. That is what I cherish. That is where I find myself. It also looks like this, looking intently, looking intently into the gospel and prayerfully appropriating what God has done and praying that into my heart because my heart is stubborn. Praying that that the image of Jesus who constantly sits before me in the revealed gospel in the scriptures. It also means living out my identity by Jesus and in Jesus and by the gospel. Who am I? I'm an African man. Yes, that's true. 
But who am I? Who am I that counts for all eternity? I am an African Christian man in Christ. I'm a person in Christ. That is my real identity, and that is why we have a common identity. If you are following Jesus, if you are abiding in him, you are a person in Christ. And that means, as Tim Keller puts it, uh, that means you must have your inner being and character shaped by the gospel. Everything you do must be in line with the truth of the gospel. You're taking refuge in Christ and what God has done for you in and through him. That is what regulates your thinking and your actions and where you go and why you take certain decisions and not because you are a person in Christ. You are abiding in him. Your confidence is in him. It's in the Lord Jesus. It is not in what you're able to accomplish for him. For your fruitfulness, you are only fruitful because you abide in the true vine who is fruitful. Fruitfulness in the Christian life does not come about because you are trying hard every day. That will strangle you. Fruitfulness in the Christian life comes because we are resting. We are making our abode. That is where we live. That is where we play in Jesus we try to drink and feed on him that his sap, the sap from the vine, will enter into every area of my life, whether it is marriage or parenting or studies or work, whatever it is, may the gospel of Jesus, what he has accomplished, what God has done for me, bringing me in by his grace, may that inform the way I look at the world around me. And so you might think that even though fruitfulness is the goal, the Lord will go there. Yes, fruitfulness is the goal so that God will be glorified, he tells us. But he knows that we cannot be fruitful by ourselves. And so he would emphasize abiding, resting, dwelling, remaining in Jesus. So let me rush through it. The thing about Africans preaching is that sometimes you tend to go over time because their sense of time is so bad. And so I constantly have to remind myself that I'm preaching in America. Here we keep time. So I will try. Be patient with me. And so the Lord emphasizing, abiding, look at a few verses and the repetition. Verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is it that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do absolutely nothing. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away. And then he continues. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, verse 10, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Verse six, you did, uh, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. 
of all the things that the Lord has been talking about, this is John's gospel. He has been talking about the I am things. These things of Yahweh in the Old Testament, he says that they are all fulfilled in me. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door or the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine is the last of all the I am sayings in John's gospel. And so he's saying that the bread of life, the light of the world, the door, the shepherd, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the, none of these things will be experienced unless you abide in Jesus. And that is why he puts that at the last end. I am the true vine. You will have these experiences when you abide. All that Jesus is, we have access to. Not because we try harder, but because every day we throw ourselves at his feet. Again, if I were preaching in, I was tempted to say hallelujah. If I were preaching in Africa, I would say that. Amen. <laughs> when we abide in Christ, when we are united with Jesus in his death and in his resurrection, this whole abiding is abiding in him in his death and his resurrection. That helps us to understand suffering and appreciate it in this waiting time. We are united with him. We are abiding in his death. We are abiding in his resurrection. You know what that does? It opens us up to the very treasures of God in Christ. Let me mention a few. Abiding in Jesus, number one. We have the assurance of answered prayer. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, <laughs> and it will be done for you. Verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Don't say that to an African. Because we think there is so much need. We have so much need, whether it's economical or whatever. And so if you give us this, if I present my wish list to you, it will be granted. <laughs> That's not what he's saying. What is he saying? How does... Whatever you ask, you wish, you ask my Father in my name, he will give it to you. What is he talking about? How is that connected with abiding in Jesus? Look at verse 7 again, and I'll explain in a moment. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask. Ask whatever you wish. It's not standing alone. It is directly related to if you abide in me and my words abide in you. What the Holy Spirit will do with it is this. As I abide in Jesus and I abide in his gospel and it abides in me richly, the Holy Spirit takes that and begins to work in my desires and my affections and begins to align them with God's will and God's purposes. And ultimately, God's will and purposes for us is to abide and remain in Jesus so that we will be fruitful. And the Holy Spirit, the more I abide in his word and in the gospel, he aligns this, he shapes it. I may not realize that is happening, but he aligns it with God's purpose such that my prayer 
is so aligned with God's will and purposes. And if you pray, and praying in accordance with the gospel and in accordance with God's will and purposes, not only in my life, but in this world, the Lord will answer because it is for his glory. Every purpose of God is for his glory. He will answer. When I abide in Jesus, I become increasingly concerned about the things the Lord is concerned about. I, I become increasingly rejoicing in the things that, as it were, the Father rejoices over. Because it is for his glory. Verse 7 to 8. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you by this. My Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples, treasure for abiding in Jesus. Treasure number two. We experience a deeper assurance and experience of the Father's love for you through Christ. It's a long sentence. English is not my first language, so I'm trying to capture my thoughts in words. If we abide in Christ, there is a, a deeper assurance and experience of the Father's love for me through Christ. Again, my friends, let me draw your attention to verse 9. Listen to what Jesus says. It's absolutely incredible. Amazing. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Verse 12 and 13, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. It is this same love that brought us into the vine. And he said that when we abide in Jesus, when we abide in him, we experience an increasing measure of his love. It is not that the love of God grows. His love never grows. It is so perfect. But we grow into his love. We grow more and more overwhelmed, lost in the love that he has for us. And there is no way we would experience the fullness of God's love apart from Christ, apart from the Lord Jesus. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. That is to say, we experience in and through Christ the very same love that the Father has for the Son. Friends, look at me for a moment. Do you realize that if you are in Christ, God loves you in the same way as he loves Jesus? That is unbelievable. That makes me very uncomfortable. I know who I am. If you abide in Jesus, if you are in union with the Lord Jesus, God the Father loves you as much as, in the same way as he loves the Son, the Lord Jesus, the true vine. If you are wrestling with that thought, it's a good thing. Keep wrestling with it. Keep abiding. For the rest of your life, that, that is why you burst into worship, because you can't believe it, that he will love me as much as he loves the righteous one, the Lord Jesus. And as we abide in, the Holy Spirit is releasing the gospel into our hearts every day. 
and we are growing in the sense of his overwhelming love. I have struggled with that thought because first I struggle with the fact that I'm a Christian anyway, that the Lord chose to save me when I was 17. If you know the story, that, well, it's okay if you save good people, but not guys like this. And then by abiding in Christ, just growing into this love. I am loved by God. I'm loved by Him, even in my suffering. The third treasure, as we keep our attention on time, don't get carried away. There is an experience of the fullness of joy. Joyless Christianity is alien to abiding in Christ. It is alien to abiding in Christ, the true vine. It is by being united to Jesus by faith that we experience real and lasting joy. Real joy is experienced when we empty ourselves by the grace of God through prayer of, of finding our own joy or our own source of joy and increasingly finding our joy in all that Jesus is and all that Jesus has done for me. Notice that it is not my joy that makes me joyful. It is Christ's joy that is passed on to me because I abide in him. It is his joy in me that makes my joy full. Even in suffering, even in the Father's pruning, how can a person be joyful in suffering? Oh, well, because his attention is all kept in what the Father has done and is doing through the Lord Jesus. Let me get us into a bit of the glimpse, and then I'll finish. A glimpse into the joy of Jesus that becomes our joy. So let's, let's leave John 15 for a moment. We'll come back. Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What is he saying? He's saying that Christ thought and Christ looked ahead and saw the joy of gathering God's people from every nation and tribe, including my tribe. He, he gathered, he, he saw ahead that by his death on the cross, he's going to gather the whole world, something that the old vine had failed to do. He's going to gather. And that joy spared him on to endure the cross. So the joy of Christ is not always bubbly, happy, um, superficial kind of thing. No, Christ himself screamed and cried and, and, and died an agonizing death, and yet he was joyful because he looked ahead into God's purposes. What is Christ's joy that becomes our joy? It is looking into God's promises. 
in Christ and seeing God's purposes unfolding even in the cutting that I experienced, the pruning, this loving pruning and pressing on and enduring and delighting in God's promises. It is submitting to the Father's pruning. It is knowing that the Father has allowed hardship, hardship and difficulties because in that I will become more fruitful. The Father prunes because the Father loves. And because the Father loves, He prunes those who are abiding in Christ. I think the point is well made, and perhaps I need to wrap up as I promised. And as I do that, verse 12 again of Hebrews, um, Hebrews 12 again, please, verse 5 to verse 7. And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons and daughters. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Nor be wary when he reproved, you reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives for the discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? What is he saying? He is saying that true joy is knowing that the father would only prune us because he loves us. I am the true vine, and my Father is a vine dresser. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he is it that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Let me pray, brothers and sisters. Let me pray briefly. Our Father, help us to abide in Jesus. You know, there is a lot more that can be said from John 15, but I pray that God the Holy Spirit would work in my own heart, in our hearts, to move us towards a new vision of the vine, the true vine, and the vine dresser, so that we will rest secure in the gospel of Jesus, that we might be fruitful, fruitful where you have put us for your glory. And in Jesus' name, amen.